Hello, and welcome to the Aquarian Spirals podcast. Musings on astrology, cosmology, practical woo, non-monogamy, and just general witchiness. Your guide to love-soaked revolution and paradigm shift. Hello, and welcome to episode number seven for Friday, December 6, 2019. I am your host, Amanda Moreno, astrologer, soul worker, paradigm buster, and witchling. And it's been a month since my last episode. I think I got lost in my life, so there's lots going on there. Um, but I hope to be back to my regularly scheduled every other weakness, starting, well, now. And today's episode is graced 100% by a conversation I had with Megan Angus, who I just tend to call Boss Witch or Queen Witch. Uh, Megan's a local Seattle practitioner who I'm sure will be back on the show again later. And we touch on topics ranging from witchcraft and occultism to tarot and her incredible Wheel of the Year series that you guys should check out if you are local to Seattle. But before we launch in, just a little heads up. The second of my two evolutionary astrology intro classes is Monday, December 9th at Madrona House in Seattle. Also, I'll be launching my 2020 year ahead readings in the next week or two. So um, I freaking love doing those. And you get an hour long look at your year ahead, timelines, a tarot reading, keywords to work with each month, a heads up about which new moons might be best for you. And that's all under the bracket of the theme for the year, which for 2020 very much is um, <laughs> getting shit done. So stay tuned for that. And as usual, you can access me as your kind of on-call healer by signing up for my Patreon. And patrons will be the only folks getting discounts for the year ahead readings. So that's your incentive for this month. That's patreon.com slash spirals. And just one more thing, if you are liking this podcast, it means the world to me and helps so much if you just rate it. Give it five stars. You're feeling extra giving, write a little review. Um, That means the world and goes far towards getting the word out about the podcast. So enough of that. On with the interview. So I'm here today with Megan Angus, Oracle artist, author, teacher, and witch. Um, And I met Megan a couple years ago while both of us were doing tarot readings at a little shop in Seattle. Um, And through our long and winding talks together, I learned what a fucking powerhouse this woman is. Um, And she is... Well, I'm going to let her talk about herself, but she is a practitioner in Seattle. So those of you who are local should definitely check her out and welcome, Megan. Hello (laughs) and hello to the beautiful family of Aquarian Spirals listeners. Yay, thanks. So do you want to start off just by telling us a bit about who you are and how you got to this point in your life of being an Oracle artist and witch? Oh, I suppose. Um, <laughs> hello. Um, yes, I got started um, on this winding road uh, as a little kid, or perhaps in several lifetimes ago. <laughs> um, sometimes it's hard to tell how back, how far back this stuff goes. There's some um, bleed through. <laughs> yeah, right. A little bleed through. Exactly. Um, uh, some of my very earliest memories as a kid um, were 
concerning the wonder that I had around deity and divinity and the, the pomp and ceremony of religion. Um, I was super attracted to that whole realm of information and experience as a very young person. And happily, I grew up in a house that supported that and encouraged that. My mom was really excited at the idea that I was excited about this stuff. So she sent me off to church, but a variety of different churches with lots of different family friends. And you know, by the time I was eight or 10 years old, I had been to Jewish synagogue and Buddhist temple and Catholic mass and really kind of had had an opportunity to dip my toes in all of these different faiths. And so when I was 11 was really kind of when everything broke open, as it often does for people, 11 being an initiatory number and year for a lot of people, um, with my, you know, onset of puberty and hormones and all of that stuff, my um, intuitive abilities kind of blew wide open. Mm. And everything that had been sort of this amorphous you know, I'm interested in God, I'm interested in spirituality in a very general way, started to become very specific. And I was reading books about the Hindu pantheon, and I read the Tao Te Ching and Black Elk Speaks and, um, you know, memorized all of the gods and goddesses of the Egyptian pantheon and just really began to like, oh, wait, this isn't just something that a few people have access to. This is something that all humans have been doing in all of these different forms throughout time. And that was really kind of the beginning of everything for me was seeing how all of these different civilizations had been attempting to um, examine this concept of godness and you know, what is that in the individual human? What is that in the universe and all of that stuff? Um, when I was 15, my best friend gave me a tarot deck, the Tarot of the Witches, which is really weird. It's very surreal. The artwork on it is odd. Um, and that kind of kicked off uh, the era of like more granular, uh, I guess, scientific approach to this whole world of concept rather than just reading in books and just thinking about things. Now I was actually doing stuff. Um, so like experimenting. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, rather than just reading about the lab, we were now in the lab. <laughs> we were like actually touching magical tools and seeing what happens when, when we do it. Um, that was a pretty formative year for me. I started to practice astrology that year as well and definitely came at it from a very skeptical, scientific, like, let's just see if there's anything to this whole astrology business. <laughs> and, um, turns out, spoiler, um, nothing. No, it's all, it's all hokum. But, um, uh, I also started, um, practicing something called hypersentience, um, which is uh, kind of a goofy term basically for past life regression, <laughs> um, and doing hands-on healing and sort of discovering that I had this latent talent, which side note, I think all humans actually have this talent. Um, and so by the time I was in my early 20s, I was kind of well on my way to being the local witch. Um, but it wasn't until my early 30s that I really started to kind of take the act on the road. And 
in my early 30s, I was starting to get this call that like, it's cool that I'm doing these things and it's cool that I've been exploring these concepts for myself, my own edification, my own development, but that's not enough. Um, and, you know, I need to be taking this out to the people and making myself more accessible to folks. So mm -hmm. I started to hold parties at my apartment in Capitol Hill in Seattle, Washington. And they were wheel of the year parties. They were parties for the eight Sabbaths that witches and pagans celebrate their holidays that happen throughout the year. And they were intended to be twofold. One, I wanted to create a space where people could come and play with the concepts of paganism. They could come and touch things on the altar. They could ask questions. Nothing is offensive. Mm -hmm. We can laugh. We can play with this stuff. Nobody's going to get in trouble. Um, because I knew a lot of folks that thought of themselves as recovering Christians or sort of like atheists or agnostics that had been kind of left at the high watermark of the apocalyptic or non-apocalyptic era of the 90s. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, a lot of these cats were like, I thought I was supposed to die in a fiery, yeah, well, you didn't. So now what are you going to do with the rest of your life? <laughs> and, <laughs> um, and a lot of them had, you know, come from backgrounds where either religion was not something to consider or was something they had rejected. And I was so joyous with my religion and my spirituality. There was a lot of curiosity around that. So that was one of the points. And the other point of the parties was I wanted to, I liked to throw parties. Um, and I wanted to meet new people and I wanted all of the disparate people that I knew to meet each other. So I really prided myself on throwing these, you know, spiritual slash debaucherous soirees where you'd get this really great mix of weirdos and movers and shakers in Seattle. And then, um, then I started to read tarot professionally at that little shop where I met you. Um, and in that time period is where I felt like these parties that are at my house have been great, but they are not everything that they could be. And if I do this in a public forum, I could start bringing in people that I don't know, which might be even more important. Um, and that kind of brings us to where we are today. I've been teaching the wheel of the year publicly since 2015 um, and about to go into a new cycle of it. And yeah, I think that that's is, a pretty good. <laughs> there's a little nutshell for you. Yeah, <laughs> that's really fascinating to hear. I didn't know a lot of these pieces about you, um, and it's beautiful to hear just how strong that Sagittarian sun is for you. Yes, um, <laughs> it comes through very loudly. Do you know if that Tarot of the Witches is still available? It is. It's a deck by Stuart Kaplan, and it comes in a purple box and. It's weird. It's very surreal. Uh, the pip cards are not illustrated. You know, if it's coins, it's just coins. It's not an actual image. So really only the major arcana is depicted. And it's just bizarre. Hmm. Um, side note. Yeah. Uh, the garbage man has just pulled up outside of my window. Perfect. And it's possibly going to get extremely loud in just a moment. All right. <laughs> good to know yeah <laughs> um so i do want to talk about the wheel of the year but first i i am curious what is your approach with tarot like why why do you use tarot you use it so well but how you know can you speak a little bit a bit to how you use tarot yeah absolutely my relationship with tarot um 
is definitely not linear. Um, my relationship with tarot has gone back and forth between this is a toy uh, to this is interesting, but I don't really understand it to there we go. I'm yes. going to pause. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, I have kind of gone down a very interesting road with tarot. It has not been a linear process, as I was saying. Um, it, uh, it has been a toy for me. It has been a source of mystery. It has been a source of illumination. Um, when I first started to work with tarot, it was just something that was very interesting and it was easily accessible. So I think for a lot of people, tarot kind of plays the role of gateway drug mm -hmm. <laughs> and kind of gets people into, so what is magic? What is spirituality? What is witchcraft? What is magical practice? What is all this stuff? But the more that I worked with it, the more I was really um, struck by how adaptable the symbolism is. And um, all of the incredible things that you can discover or decide to see in tarot. And kind of scooting forward several years, um, the more I worked with it, the more I was impressed with it. it it's, um, tarot to me is very much like a yoga. Like there's no end, there's no goal, there's right. no finishing point with tarot. You can always go further. Wherever you are, is the perfect place and you can always go further with it. I think uh, it's so interesting that both, both tarot and astrology for me, that infinite flexibility and that you can keep learning about it forever and how versatile it is, is such a strength. And I think that for a lot of people that makes it irrelevant, right? Like they're not comfortable in the realms of that level of ambiguity that can also be very, very, you know, pinpointed and clear. Um, but to me, that reflects human experience so much. Whereas if you're just taking like small categories and whittling them down, I'm always like, I can't, I can't be confined in those small places. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with you. I think it also makes it a little intimidating for some folks yeah. where they're like, oh my God, there's no bottom. What do you mean I can't learn everything that there is to know about a card? Damn it. You know? I can't learn straightforwardly how to do this forever. Right. This, so this, this, there's 78 cards here. The meaning of life isn't in here somewhere. What the heck? Okay. But I will say that having gotten tarot readings from you, um, you read tarot in a way that is definitely intuitive, but is also so structured and your knowledge of the, the symbolism is so deep that it always amazes me. That combination is incredibly important to me. Um, there has been a real resurgence in intuitive tarot reading in the last few years and it gets lambasted. A lot of people don't think of it as a legitimate way of reading the cards. I think of it as a totally legitimate way of reading the cards, but you can also add to it or use intuitive reading as something that you add to your other approaches. For me, um, since I was a little kid, my mind has always had one foot in the world of science and, and, and pragmatic thinking and one foot in the other world one foot in spirit or source or deity or myth or whatever it is and what i'm always looking for is the thing that translates to both worlds mm -hmm. and tarot for me very much is that thing but when we approach those concepts 
even if we have read all of the books and we've listened to all of the sages, we still have to have an intuitive connection with the symbol that's in front of us or it won't apply to us. We won't get its message. We'll look at it and go, okay, that's a cool drawing, but I'm not feeling anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's really important to develop your intuition, develop a subjective personal relationship with the symbol in the card or the symbolism of tarot or Oracle or whatever it is that you're working with. But also there is uh, a gift or a benefit to applying yourself and, and actually doing real research and study and learning what is everybody else ever had to say about this particular card. Mm-hmm. When we see the color red, I know I have my personal connection to the color red. And so every time I see it, I'm going to have an intuitive and a subjective flash about that. But um, how does everybody else think of the color red? And what does that say to the human experience? Um, Where does it connect on the universal level? Um, And for me, those two schools of information or those two collections of information really kind of flow back and forth between each other. What's objective and what's subjective? What am I picking up intuitively? What did I read in a book? And after a while you start to, I don't know, go crazy. Um, All of it sort of (laughs) connects to itself. (laughs) When I hit those moments, that's when I'm like, I'm temporarily breaking up with the tarot. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) I'm like, it's happening. (laughs) I think I need a nap. (laughs) Great. Um, So you have been teaching these wheel of the year classes for a couple of years now, right? Since 2015. So can you tell us a little bit about or a lot about, you know, how those came about and what, what's going on with them now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as I said before, they started, it started, it was a very casual thing that I was doing privately in my own home for friends and friends of friends and just the community in general. Um, but they were very debaucherous and they definitely, you know, were uh, not very structured. Mm-hmm. So well, this, and I guess if you can also throw in, what is the wheel of the year for those yeah, who don't oh, know? Yeah, I guess we could talk about that too. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so let's back up to that. The wheel of the year is a spiritual practice that is used by modern pagans. It is based on lots of ancient paganism, but it's very important to note that as far as we have historical or archaeological evidence, so, you know, put a little asterisk next to that. But as far as we have historical or, astro- or uh, um, archaeological evidence, we have no record of any single pagan culture, culture that we might describe as being pagan, celebrating all of these holidays all together within one year. So when we talk about the Wheel of the Year, we are talking about something that is a modern pagan practice. And what it is, is a collection of eight holidays that sort of marks a lot of stuff, honestly. It marks um, primarily the passage of time. And it was a way for these ancient peoples to track agricultural cycles and animal husbandry cycles. You know, um, a lot of the holidays are marked either by celestial events like Earth in its orbit around the sun or the moon in its orbit around earth. 
um, or other celestial events like the ri heliacal rising of a fixed star on the eastern horizon saying, okay, now this era or this portion of the year has begun because we can see this star in the sky. Um, and it was a way of passing down myth from generation to generation. It was a, a way of communing with ancestors, um, but really it was a way of organizing the year of activity of things that had to be done for the community. Um, and like I said, we don't see any ancient one ancient pagan civilization celebrating all eight because. So does that mean that they like they would celebrate all of them over a period of time or they just were kind of focused around one? They usually were focused around a couple, not usually just one. It would be two or four or six. Um, the a lot of the folks that we might think of as the Celts, which that's a we don't have time to discuss how problematic the word is, but whatever. Um, a lot of people have been referred to as Celts. Uh, when we're talking about folks in the last 3,000 years in Western Europe, they celebrated two of these holidays. That was it. They celebrated the holiday that marked the bright part or the hot part of the year and the, celeb the, the holiday that marked the cold, dead part of the year. And that was it. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of them did six. Um, but like, you know, if we push even further back than that, Egyptians cut their year up into three chunks. They had three giant months and that was it. So uh, it's, it's, so like I've said, it's, it's modern paganism that has brought all eight of these together into uh, this practice that's used currently. And just one more clarification, this heavy quotes, modern paganism, is that mm -hmm. something that you would you know, is the time range on that like the past couple thousand years or a couple hundred years? Modern paganism, when I use that phrase, I'm referring to things that are within the last hundred years or so. Okay. It's that, that new. Okay. The holidays have been around for a long ass time, putting all eight of them together in one practice. Very new idea. Okay. Um, and so that's really what the holidays are, is they are points where we can witness and celebrate and um, re-energize our personal process of, of like personal evolution, our, um, our personal highs and lows, but it's also a process of sort of tracking the natural rhythm around us, the rhythm of the sun uh, rising and falling in the sky from northern, or excuse me, from the winter solstice to the summer solstice and back again. Um, paying attention to agricultural cycles, animal husbandry cycles, et cetera. Right. So it's just a way to, I really like that. It's a way to tune in. It is absolutely a way to tune in. Um, and to me, it's a really important uh, cycle to pay attention to because we humans in all of our many forms have been living on this planet, well, the whole time we haven't lived on any other planet. So we are really subject to its natural biorhythms, right. the sun, the moon, the planets passing overhead. And I don't mean that in necessarily a woo-woo sense, but also that, but just from a biorhythmic sense, from the production of serotonin and melatonin, those types of things are, are affected by, by these cycles. Um, and so being consciously aware of them and remembering, oh yeah, humans have only had electric light for, you know, a hundred plus years. We've been doing it a little differently the rest of the time. Right. Um, you know, it kind of wakes you up to some of that unconscious 
stuff that's happening in you. Like in the winter, when people really tend to shut down. It's like, you don't have to, you have electric light. And yet the animal part of you is like, no, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> the animal part of me is like, I am sleeping for 10 hours a night right now. <laughs> exactly. Because that's the, that's what we've been doing for millions of years. Right. Yeah. So this whole practice is an opportunity for modern pagans to look back through time, consider how um, ancient civilizations have tracked these things, how they've recognized being affected by these things and what they chose to do with those experiences. Um, but for a lot of modern pagans, um, and people who are curious, it's not just pagans that witness the eight holidays, lots of folks do, but um, it becomes a type of initiatory experience to work the wheel, mm -hmm. which is something that we are sorely lacking in, in the West, in my opinion. And through working the wheel, we are initiated into the practice of tracking time. We have to be really good with our astronomy as well as our astrology. Um, we are initiated into the practice of math. We're initiated into the practices of, of geometry, of geology and um, land identifying and, and uh, you know, remembering particular mountain peaks and, and things like that. And um, as much as it is a spiritual practice and can initiate you into relationships with the triple goddess or um, the pagan horned god or other archetypes that you might want to work with. It can initiate you into profound relationships with your own ancestors. It also initiates you into the sciences and the accumulated knowledge and wisdom of humanity mm. in total. Mm -hmm. And so you have these wheel of the year classes happening every, is it six weeks, eight mm -hmm. weeks? Every six weeks. Every six-ish, yeah. Six-ish weeks. Each one occurs just before the holiday in question. Um, can people just jump in whenever they want to? Absolutely. There is no beginning or end to the wheel of the year. It spins eternally. Mm. Um, a lot of folks like to start practicing the wheel at the beginning of the year because they're used to the calendar cycle. Um, is that the beginning of the year meaning January? January. Okay. Yeah. Um, some folks like to start practicing the wheel in spring because there is an energetic start happening in spring. Um, I started teaching the wheel in the middle of summer, <laughs> the year that I started to teach it, which is kind of a weird time to start teaching, but whatever, it was the right time. Um, yes, uh, absolutely. I, very much in the same way that, you know, human experience is happening. It's starting and ending at all times. Not everybody is all born on the same day. We don't all die on the same day. Mm -hmm. We're all doing our thing at all times. Right. So if the wheel practice calls to you or there's curiosity around it, that might be the time for you to begin to explore that practice and see what it has for you. So what is the wheel practice? Like what can someone expect if they dive into this work through your classes? Well, in general, the wheel practice talks about like all that historical stuff that we talked about. Um, looking back into the past and seeing how folks used to do it. But really what it offers you is an opportunity to kind of sync up with the biorhythms in the hemisphere that you live in. We all, or the majority of us listening to this anyways, um, 
live in the Northern Hemisphere. Although, hey, let's get this podcast into the Southern Hemisphere. Let's go for it. Mm. Um, why not? <laughs> um, but it it offers you an opportunity to sync up with the biorhythms that are happening here on Earth, your own biorhythms, and hmm, <laughs> like what can a person? I mean, what I'm thinking about is like I walked into. I can't remember which one I went to, but there's this big, beautiful altar that you've built. Um, so we get to see the creation of ritual space that you can use for the wheel of the year. And like each of those objects has meaning. And so when I walked in, I was like, okay, I'm going to be learning about how to like, not only, you know, link to the rhythms of the year and the rhythms of the world around me, but like the colors that might be relevant and the sacred objects that might be relevant. Um, and you linked in like the moon cycles for that chunk of time so that it really is this ongoing practice with like guided writing prompts to see or to do some of that inner explore exploration work. Um, and then the bonus of having you just kind of like spewing all of this wisdom is pretty fantastic as well. Oh gosh, thanks. Mm -hmm. um, that was way more eloquent than whatever it was I was going to say. Thank you. Mm, we're eloquent <laughs> in very different ways. <laughs> um, I, in the classes, what I'm trying to provide for folks is similar to what I was trying to do at those parties. I want an environment that is playful, that is open, that is friendly, that encourages curiosity and encourages experimentation. I feel like not to pull too far out again, but I feel like religion and spirituality have just become so fricking heavy and such a bummer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so much of it, in my opinion, is meant to be celebratory and joyous and juicy and loving and fun and light. And, and spiritual practices can help us get through dark times and they can help us get through really heavy matters. Um, but it doesn't have to be dour itself. Um, so I want an environment where people can come and meet each other. So they get to meet other people that are in the community that are also curious about these things or practicing these things. But yes, exactly. As you said, I want folks, even if they don't want to get into all of the hardcore academic practices mm -hmm. behind this, bring in the colors, bring in the shapes, the stones, the foods, because that's really sort of the heart of paganism in my opinion is how we literally live in our real moments in our day-to-day -day life all that academic stuff is cool and it placates the ego and it satisfies the scientific mind to know that stuff and be like i know some stuff but the thing that to me where the rubber really hits the road is like are you improving the quality of your life and are you improving the quality of the lives of the people around you right um well i think it's that there's a reclaiming that happens too right reclaiming the celebratory essence of being alive and participating with the cycles around us and that sense of wonder that you were talking about you know as a child that you love so much um but also for people who have been you know hurt by religion in this life or others uh, coming into a space where you say wait it can be different and it can be on your own terms mm -hmm. in collaboration with what is real around you rather than these like falsely constructed notions of good and evil and blah 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 
Right. I mean, first off, the world is not black and white. Nobody ever gets it that easy. (laughs) Um, Everything is, you know, granular. Everything has, you know, a a, a caveat to it. Um, And I think that they'll go unnamed, but a couple of different religions have sort of kind of ruined it for everybody, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and really made it difficult for the individual to feel safe exploring, um, you know, because curiosity is tender. Curiosity is vulnerable. Curiosity is, you know, our pinky toe in the dark, feeling its way forward, hoping not to hit the coffee table. And I think some organized religions have thrown a hell of a lot of coffee tables out there for us to knock up against. And, and I think that was on purpose. I think people have been scared away from being curious about spirituality and religious practice and what it can do for them as an individual. Um, And so that is definitely a big push of, of this is to try to put a lot of this back into people's hands and say, look, here are sacred foods that people have used from all over the planet and colors and shapes and smells, um, plant helpers that people not only burn, but maybe eat to bring them in alignment with this work that you maybe need to do, or maybe you just want to do. Um, but also it's yours. Do whatever you want to with it. Right. Yeah. So that is that reclaiming. I mean, that's the recovering truth from within. Absolutely. Right. Which I think there is, I mean, I see a level or I experience a level of hubris, especially in like occult oriented communities, some pagan communities where they are just so it's like this um, reaction, right? It's, it's this reactionary place from being cast out of Christianity or whatever, but it, it attains this level of like, well, we can prove these things or we are elitist or we are, it just becomes very accessible. I don't think anything I'm saying is making that much sense right now, but. No, I get what you're saying though. It's, it's been, it's one of my personal subjective complaints about occultism or the metaphysical world at large is this tremendous urge toward navel gazing and self aggrandizing. Mm -hmm. Both of those states can be helpful and necessary and useful. Yeah. I just don't think it's helpful or necessary or useful to stay in those states. Right. Or be in it without awareness that that's what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, and this is, I was thinking about this before this talk and it's a little bit of a tangent, but when I was in grad school, I came across, you know, Western hermeticism and, you know, what, what you would call occult or hidden Western knowledge. And I had kind of like, I was like, I want to come back to this when I'm done with grad school. Um, and I was familiar with the Golden Dawn and the OTO and I was a little bit skeptical, but then I had an experience where I was a TA for a course on ritual design. And we went to the mountains for a weekend and all the students had to design a ritual and find like a spot on the property to do the ritual. And it was freaking amazing. But one of the students did a ritual and called in these more like, you know, Ariel, uh, Michael, mm-hmm. Raphael, the big angels. And I was blown away at the level of like ancient energy that came in. Mm-hmm. And I was like, whoa, this is old and this is real. And I want that. <laughs> Get it on me right now. <laughs> yeah. And so this person who I still adore um, was part of something called the open source order of the golden dawn. And so it was mixing 
golden dawn stuff with buddhism and paganism and um so i joined and started that path but the thing was that i could see the navel gazing and that a lot of people involved in it weren't aware of that and i couldn't connect to the ceremonies and rituals they were so staged and performed and flat Mm-hmm. And I was like, I realized that what I wanted to be doing was like running naked through a field and cackling at the moon. <laughs> See, I, this is a really important, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Um, no, go for it. This is a really important uh, differentiation between the two schools of theory. Um, I think in our modern era, because quote unquote witchcraft has become a very trendy topic, and a lot of folks who don't necessarily know exactly what that word means, lump in a lot of stuff with that. And for me, magical practice kind of divides into two realms. There's either cooking or there's baking. (laughs) And hermeticism, um, and a lot of what you are describing, working with the archangels, um, working with that really old potent stuff, usually falls um, within the realm of baking because it's very scientific in its approach. It's very much like chemistry. Um, you have to use these very specific tools and you use these very specific names and these, you know, very exacting body shapes and gestures. And there's a rhythm and a cadence to your voice. And it it has to be just so, and you will get very specific results, much Mm -hmm. like baking a loaf of bread. You can't just throw shit in a pan and hope that it works out. It's got to be very specific in what you do versus um, a much more shamanic approach um, which, in my opinion, complements the, the, the viewpoint of witchcraft um, and paganism to a lesser extent, but witchcraft in particular, which is very ecstatic. You use what you have, where you are in that moment, and you make it work. And mm-hmm. because on an inherent level, we, we know that everything is connected to everything, and you can find everything in everything, you don't have to have just the right knife or just the right piece of wood or just the right color of robe, whatever you have is holy and whatever you have is going to, to be the thing that it needs to be in the moment. Yeah. Um, that's beautiful. To, to produce the result. And, um, and a lot of my practice is kind of a weird, I guess, again, kind of standing in one, one foot in each world where I really do love that um, scientific academic approach to things but then also bring on the chaos magic. <laughs> right, and the experience. Yeah, right, one bring of the on most, the unexpected part. <laughs> one of the most liberate, liberating things I learned was to just start doing magic and mm-hmm. that that was part of the learning process, right? You're not, if you can't wait till the perfect time, so you do it and then you screw up and you, <laughs> you learn journal. from it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hopefully you journal, journal and then you, you refine. Mm-hmm. Right. And Absolutely. Say, okay. Just like a just like a scientist in a laboratory, a right. scientist in a laboratory is they they only have the work to go on of the people before them. And this metaphor even applies in our witchcraft setting that feels much more ecstatic and chaotic. That shaman, that natural practitioner, only has their own personal experiences and the knowledge of the people that came before them. Mm-hmm. That's all that they have to work on. Yeah. And so even with all of that knowledge, this moment is going to be an experiment. We don't know what's going to happen, and we're going to create something new simply because we are interacting with the archetype or the information or the, the entity for the first time. Right. Yeah. 
your talk about um, archetypal energy entities um, made me think of tarot again. Mm. <laughs> Tell us um, how. How so? Um, well, in tarot, we can work with those archetypal entities, um, those archangels that you were referring to, Machael, Gabriel, Yarael, Raphael. Uh, these are, um, oh, what's a good word? They are artifacts that we have here in the modern era of these incredibly ancient, in my opinion, elemental forces. Yeah. Um, they are <clears throat> ineffable. They are nameless. They're wordless. They're shapeless. They're, we can't see them. And then if we get down just a couple layers from those, then we begin to be able to perceive entities like the archangels and, and these other like big mamma jamma archetypes. Um, and they are depicted in the tarot. Um, right. And so we have a, a, a simple tool that's an easy way to draw that entity potentially into your practice or into your world or at least bring them close enough to have a conversation with them. Mm -hmm. So are you teaching tarot anytime soon? Yes. Finally. You are. <laughs> yes. um, I have been seeing students privately for um, hour long mentor sessions at Madrona House Apothecary for the last year. And that is awesome. Um, I teach a 12 part class that uh, you get a certificate at the end and all of that good stuff. Um, but also in 2020, I am going to start up a once a month tarot circle at Madrona House Apothecary that's going to be uh, much more casual, much more experimental, and um, really hoping to create an environment where people can come and play and experiment and ask questions and kind of roll around on the floor with the ideas of tarot. <laughs> I love this so much. <laughs> um, and so when is the next Wheel of the Year class? The next Wheel of the Year class is December 12th. That's next Thursday, although I don't know when this recording will go out. So it, it is or was December 12th. Mm -hmm. um, It'll and, be before then. <laughs> <laughs> and the first... Let me see if I actually have my calendar in front of me. The first uh, tarot circle at Madrona House Apothecary will be January 30th, which will be just after the first Wheel of the Year class in 2020. Great. And is the next Wheel of the Year class Yule? It is. We will be Great. talking about uh, Yule and winter solstice history um, forms of celebration, ritual, and personal uh, magical and spiritual work that we can do for that six to seven week chunk of the year, um, as well as the winter holidays and traditions uh, from rituals, or excuse me, from religions and belief systems and philosophies from all over the planet throughout time. Um, I guess I didn't mention that before because there's so much to say about yeah. the Wheel of the Year. But I really do strive to help modern pagans connect to all of the rest of the spiritual practices that are on the planet to really bring through, we are in fact all doing the same thing. Right. Beautiful. So I can't say enough about your style of tarot reading and the incredible articles that you put out through your Patreon campaign. Um, can you tell people where they can reach you, anything else that you have coming up soon and best ways to contact you? Absolutely. 
Um, I have a website, uh, www.meganangus.com, and you can read some of my writing there. You can check out my mentorship programs for tarot. You can read all of the background uh, history and explanations of the Wheel of the Year and buy tickets for all of that stuff and all that cool whatnotery. Um, where else can you get a hold of me? Uh, through Madrona House Apothecary, definitely. Um, and every now and then you can find me uh, fiddling away on a violin. <laughs> oh, that's also right. <laughs> Excellent musician as well. <laughs> um, my Patreon is just Megan Angus at Patreon. <clears throat> and uh, subscriptions there started a buck and they go up over $100 depending on what kind of work you would like to do with me. If you just want to read some stuff every now and then, it's cheap. If you'd actually like to subscribe and get tarot readings with me on a regular basis, it's a little more expensive. And um, every now and then, regardless of what your subscription level is, I'll throw in some freebies. Sometimes I throw in recordings of the lectures. Um, you know, I'm trying to create a little bit of a family there. It's a little awkward for me, but I'm trying. It's happening. <laughs> it's happening. All right, great. Well, I dare say that you will be on this podcast again if you would like to be, because there's a lot more to talk about. Huzzah. Um, there really is. I'm like, how did that? The, wow, that was okay. Real quick. <laughs> Real quick. <laughs> All right. So thank you for being here. And I hope you have a good rest of your day. Thank you so much for having me. And blessed be Earth. Let's fucking do this in 2020. Seriously. All right. Okay, so that is all for this week. Uh, next time we will be talking about the upcoming eclipses and some other extremely fascinating things that I just haven't quite figured out yet. Um, take care, friends. <laughs>